Howdy, this is Jim Rutt, and this is The Jim Rutt Show. This is a Currents episode. Currents are shorter and less heavily produced than our full-length episodes and generally focus on a single topic. As always, links to books, articles, and organizations mentioned are available on the episode page at jimrutshow.com. That's jimrutshow.com. Today's guest is Sam Harris. Sam is co-founder of Syncify.fm, a kind of cool podcast app, and he's a podcaster himself, has his show, The Growth Mindset Podcast. And in fact, I am going to be a guest on that podcast tomorrow. So, you know, this was originally, we recorded this episode a few weeks ago and our recording platform ate it. So we're, we're doing it again. And by chance, the two days seem to coincide. His platform is at Syncify, S-Y-N-C-I-F-Y dot F-M. And we're going to do a little experiment first time. And we're going to have a discussion about the episode on the Syncify platform. That's one of the distinguishing aspects of this particular podcast platform is that it has room for like a discussion forum about each episode. So go to the Jim Rutt Show on Syncify.fm. Go to this episode. And if you want to have, uh, you want to talk to uh, Sam or talk to me, post a comment and, and we'll reply and see what kind of dialogue we get going. Sweet. Thanks for the introduction, Jim. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, and so anyway, today we're going to mostly talk about a TEDx talk that Sam gave called The Genius You Need to Listen to is Yourself. That was actually uh, quite good. And uh, Thanks. That's, uh, I'll stick with that. Quite good. <laughs> I'll put that on my bio. Yeah, quite good. Yeah, it didn't, <laughs> Jim Rutt. It didn't yeah. suck too much, right? <laughs> could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, it could definitely have been uh, worse, but uh, yeah. But yeah, it hit on a lot of themes that we, of course, talked about in the show a whole bunch, which is how our goddamn technology is hijacking our brains, right? So uh, you asked a couple of great questions which I thought were quite funny. My favorite was, how many of you have looked at your cell phone on the toilet? I think everybody raised their hand for that one, right? Mm. Yeah, it's a good one because it's just like... You didn't usually talk about that, but like everyone's done it. And you're suddenly like, oh, this is like a weird thing. Like you don't realize that everyone else is weird in doing it. You haven't even realized that you're doing it, that it is weird. And you'd never tell other people like, oh, I'm always doing it awesome on, on the toilet. And then you're like, oh, this is, this is bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're one of those weird, you know, 15 weird things, you know, you follow these fucking idiot polls and stuff. Apparently that's the most likely way to break your phone is using it in the toilet right? <laughs> As it turns out. Yeah, yeah. But this is a manifestation of something much bigger, which is that our attention is constantly being hijacked no matter where we are. So talk a little bit about uh, your perspective on that. Yeah. So essentially, I feel like a mobile phone is just, it's, does so many things these days, which is great, but it's like an infinite to-do list of stuff. There's just more and more things on there for you to, to ever do, which is which is lovely in some ways. And that you can always be productive. And yeah, I mean, like social media, there's just like more notifications and sort of people's feeds that you can go and look at. But then even if you're not on like sort of kind of junk stuff, you're still on stuff like your email or like there's just endless amazing blogs that you can subscribe to and get more and more news or like podcasts you can just listen to endlessly. And it just means that at any given point in time, when you're not quite sure what to do or your brain's a little bit bored, 
you've got this endless list of things to be distracting yourself with and making yourself feel like you're productive. And when you're in that slight moment of stress and boredom, you're like, oh, quickly, I can relieve that with this like device that has more things for me to do. And I can go back to my safe feeling of like, like I'm doing stuff, but that stops you from ever really thinking rationally about what you should actually be doing with your time or just being bored and solving your own problems. And that's kind of when you have those moments of genius. And that's why I talked about like on the toilets and your brain is only half being used with like dealing with your going to the toilet nature. And it's got this other half going on. It's like needs to go and do something. And it's just like filling it with phone. And like, why does it do that? And it's just really sort of absurd that we need to like, just fill those moments. And we've been unable to like have the self-control to actually think about what we want to do with that spare brain capacity. Yeah. It's interesting. I came to a very similar perspective while doing water walking of all things. I had a bad hip before I had my bionic hip put in about a year ago. And about the only good exercise I could do that was reasonable cardio was walking in the water fast for cardio purposes. And guess what? Walking in the water is one of the few places you can't have your phone. And I found myself falling into those deep thought flow states again, right? And it kind of woke me up. And I said, fuck, you know, this used to be the best time I had was going on walks, you know, just sitting in a chair and thinking and some of my most productive uh, business ideas, personal ideas, philosophical ideas all came from just doing just that, disconnecting from inputs. And, And at that point, I consciously set out on a on a program to find substitutes for everything on my smartphone. I actually gave up my smartphone for a year. Uh, I wrote it all up in an essay called Reclaiming Our Cognitive Sovereignty, which is on Medium. So I know exactly of what you speak. So, you know, what are we giving up? You know, what are some of the things that aren't happening? You know, you gave some good examples. Imagine if Einstein, when he uh, was feeling stressed out, instead of playing his violin, played Candy Crush or even worse, you know, doom scrolling on Twitter or some fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. Or like TikTok, we just endlessly just blast you with this video. You don't even scroll. It just like feeds like the most interesting thing for you. You don't even have to think about what you might look at next. It's like ridiculous. And um, yeah, I guess I kind of wanted to question people of how seriously do you take yourself and like, if you think of Einstein or if you want to be someone like that really sort of changes the world and is like a creator of ideas and things, you need to be the one like having that time to think about what you want to create. Whereas before you do is use your phone to like listen to other people's conversations. You're never going to have any of the ideas yourself. You're only going to have listen to like what other people have spoken about and what they've done. And you're never really going to be like a creator or someone or a giver of like things to the world. So if you take yourself seriously and you want to be someone that is like a genius, et cetera, you need to start listening to yourself and allow it to happen. Yeah. And of course these damn devices are very pernicious. Uh, You point out, I don't think you actually use the word, but we get dopamine hits for all these little pieces of crap that we discover, which, oh, by the way, turns out to be probably congruent with the fact that we got a little dopamine hit when we discovered a ripe berry when we were hunters and gatherers, right? To reinforce the behavior that led to finding a ripe berry. So instead we find some mildly funny little comment on uh, one of these social media programs, we get a little dopamine hit. Wonderful. And so our, our ancient, useful dopamine attention signaling system has now been hijacked. And as you point out, by extraordinarily smart computers using unbelievably large amounts of data to essentially hook us. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And the notifications that they send you, like really adapted smartly. So like Facebook, it was sort of, 
if you get tagged in the photo, everyone like it's just like your ego is just such a thing that's like as soon as you get tagged in the photo, you want to know what you look like, you want to know what people are thinking about you. There's nothing you can do besides just like go straight to that photo and see what's going on. And it's just it's really funny the way that is. And then also like they space out the notifications across the day, so you wouldn't just like have everything all at once. You kind of get reasons to come back and be there and stuff. And it just start like triggering you to check like the near IL and his hooked model of like because if you have like variable rewards so if you always get like the same amount of likes from the same people every single day you wouldn't need to go and check because you'd know they'd be there but because you have like different amounts of things you're always like oh, i wonder if this one's like gone viral or like if the person i fancy has gone and looked at me and stuff and there's just all these sort of unconscious things that are going on that you're sort of kind of anxious about that you need to go and see and there's potential for it to have like really big upside and so it's just like gambling every single time that you put something out there that makes you want to go back and find out more and um it's sort of very like deep in your sort of innate nature where you kind of start getting like controlled, if you will. Yeah, you mentioned Tristan Harris in your talk. He's been on the show twice. And in particular, I would like love to point people to the film that he's been involved, he was heavily involved with called The Social Dilemma. And they do a really nice job of dramatizing, you know, these uh, three little evil demons behind the scenes that are, uh, as you say, literally plotting what notifications to send when based on cognitive psychology, but, but even more importantly, because you know, cognitive psychology, to apply that, is actually work. Instead, it, we know how it's really being done with massive amounts of machine learning on massive amounts of data. Uh, so you know, the Facebook gigantic machine processes, God knows how many billions of behaviors per day, correlates that with coming back and spending more time on Facebook and basically it's continuously tuning the notification pattern that's both group learning and also specific to you to decide when to hit you with what, right? So, you know, it's basically you against the computer stronger than the one that beat Kasparov in chess, trying to hijack you using these ancient forager-based dopamine signaling systems. You know, not good at all. Yeah, and I think uh, there's a really good um, sort of philosophy around like, play games that you can win and sort of <laughs> when you kind of know that you're up against a competitor where it's just sort of not designed to help you win and be like your best self it's like why are you playing that game and um i mean you can still use social media in a healthy way but just making sure that you've set up rules for yourself in which you can like use it in a winning way so i don't know you say that you like you use some things but like for six months a year and then for six months you're just not on them to give you the headspace and other people will maybe like i've deleted social media often but i use like schedulers to make sure like people can still see stuff about me and like i really enjoyed just doing some ridiculous posts over the weekend i kind of got lost fell off a fence landed in a holly bush and it went up my bum and like it was it was pretty funny to share that with my friends and they could see these things (laughs) but like i didn't need to be on there the whole time i just like scheduled it and then like i was able to check in a few days later get my message from my friend saying sam you're hilarious and i was like able to like have a laugh but like not be on my phone the whole bloody time and like missing out on like my family time whilst i was around and stuff and use it on my own terms and like get the benefits from it without the negatives kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's exactly key. You know, I like to think that if we think about our online communication tools, kind of like alcohol, right? Alcohol's kind of enjoyable. It's a good social lubricant. I enjoy a nice craft beer or a good single malt scotch or a good American whiskey from time to time. But on the other hand, we know that alcohol can be the road to ruin for a lot of people. And I'll give my father credit. He was not a fancy dude. He dropped out of high school after ninth grade. He was a cop for most of his career, but he was a wise fellow in his own way. And he taught us some rules about drinking. 
One of them is never drink before noon, boys, right? And I will say that one stuck to me. You know, I'm not a person that's going to drink a uh, Bloody Mary with breakfast, you know, or a mimosa. I may have done it three times in my whole life, and I felt guilty every time, right? Dad said, right? And he was from a family of Irish Catholics, of which about half the males were alcoholics, and he was not one of them. And I suspect that his you know, his simple rules, which he uh, lived by, one of the things that protected it from, obviously, a genetic and cultural uh, propensity to alcoholism. The other was never drink to offset a hangover. He said, that is the definition of alcoholism. And I have not done it once in my life, right? Ever. And then the third, wow. uh, not once. You know, I've been tempted. Shit, man, I've woken up feeling like a shit sandwich that was run over by a steamroller, particularly when I was young. (laughs) But nope, 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 nope. Never, never, never do that. Take a drink to offset a hangover. And then the third one, which is more general, which is don't get seriously wasted more than about once a year. Now, I will confess to have violated that one quite a lot, you know, Mm. until I was maybe 22 or something like that. And then I taper, taper, tapered back. And probably I'm not, I'm not even at the level of getting wasted once a year these days. Maybe, maybe I'll go out and have to get wasted one of these times soon. But anyway, yeah. these three simple rules turned alcohol into a non-dangerous thing. And I've passed it on to, you know, my daughter and my nephews and uh, they all, and then I've added my own, which is a very simple way to, to, you know, modulate your drinking daily is the rule of three, three drinks. That's all you need, right? It's enough to give you a buzz but not enough to give you a serious hangover. And, and so just count to three. When you got to three, stop, right? And, and these kinds of simple behaviors are unambiguous, right? They're not, you know, oh, you know, take a lot of cognitive load to figure them out. And so, you know, we can apply those to our digital regime. You know, the very first thing is turn off all the fucking notifications, you know, things that make mm. your phone buzz and beep, right? I will say, even in the days before I had my big insight about cognitive sovereignty, I turned them all off, right? I don't need the goddamn thing beeping at me, right? And, you know, another key one is don't have it within sight a lot of times. Like never, ever take your phone into your bedroom, right? I quoted my uh, essay, uh, some very interesting lab psychology, which is even if your phone's turned off and out of reach, the damn thing reduces your ability to concentrate and it reduces your ability to do real cognitive work just because you can see it. So keep the goddamn thing out of your sight as much as possible. You know, little things like that. You quote 60 times a day that a uh, typical oh, yes. person looks at their phone. I think that's actually low. The data I saw, yeah. this is a couple of years ago, was 150 with some a reasonable percentage of particularly millennials at 300. 300 times a day they looked at their fucking phone. What the hell, right? So, you know, don't do that, right? And then, as you mentioned, uh, I also, for a long time, have been using disciplined rules for getting away from this stuff. I started 15 years ago. I used to, I uh, still am, I, a user of a really old online system called The Well, which goes back to 1985, one of the oldest continuously operating online communities, very high quality discussion, great folks, but it's really sucks you in. And so 15 years ago, I started a bit more than half my time being off the well, be gone for six or seven months, come back for four or five months, and then be gone for six or seven. These days, it's about two months on, 10 months off. Uh, about four years ago, I uh, extended that to Facebook. He said, you know, God damn it, I'm spending too much time on Facebook. So about four years ago, July 1st to December 31st, off of Facebook, right? 
And it was amazing, suddenly, as you say, the time you have to, to talk to yourself and to work on your own projects. Because it's not just the time on Facebook, which may, may have been 45 minutes a day, but it's the emotional energy that goes into, you know, Facebooking, right? It was great. Last year, I added Twitter to the list. And in fact, my, you know, I'm coming up on my sabbatical time, you know, 1st of July. I am looking so fucking forward to getting off Twitter. What a goddamn drain, right? Yeah. Truthfully, I wasn't much of a Twitterer until I started my podcast. But, you know, I sort of felt like, ah, as a podcaster, you got to gotta play the Twitter game, et cetera. But it's, you know, a lot of good information out there, but it's just too much. All this inbound, 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 and no, no time to reflect. And then uh, one of the things you did talk about in your TEDx was the idea of a Sabbath. And you mentioned in Israel, nothing happens on Saturday. Well, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I started Cyber Sabbath Sunday, which is don't use any interactive media. Don't play games. Don't do anything. Don't use your computer on Sundays. The only thing that I... Uh, uh, allow myself is I will read a book on a Kindle, but I won't order a new book on a Kindle. So uh, if you think about, you know, Kindle, it's more like a passive device if you just use it for reading, uh, et cetera. So there's, you know, these are things that one can easily choose to do to manage the danger, shall we say, of dopamine addiction in the same way that uh, my father's three rules plus my one rule, you know, are pretty handy for, you know, managing alcohol risk. Yeah. I like those things. What kind of stuff do you do to manage this stuff? What do you think about uh, rules of these sorts? Mm. Well, like I was initially saying, like trying to just create rules where you can then sort of play a game and, and win and enjoy the, the thing. And like I really like the um, the alcohol ones that you say because they all allow you to have a good time, but they they block ever get it getting out of control and kind of just being like, oh, I'll just sort of break it once and like it just spiraling into something worse. And that's the problem with like social media and you're like, oh, okay, I'll just use it a bit. And then like, there's always something, oh, well, I'll just come back for this and I'll just come back. And then it's suddenly sort of, you realize your screen time's just going up and up and it's just like, holy crap, how much am I using this thing? And yeah, trying to sort of stick yourself to certain rules. So it might be that like, you just allow yourself a screen time limit but generally, I find that those things you kind of it just then sort of later shows you well you've hit your limit for the day, and, but you're like oh well I'll just like change it for like this minute and stuff or whatever, and so <laughs> it's kind of better to just like completely delete it and like use a scheduler and then just like go on on, on the website so it's just never on your phone is one option. But there's lots of different ways. I, for WhatsApp for a while, I was getting so stressed out about how much WhatsApping I was doing that I wouldn't let myself open WhatsApp until I'd spoken to a real human being in real life. And so I'd have to go up to like random people on the street and just have a conversation. And it was just like a stupid game I made for myself. <laughs> but I really bloody enjoyed it. I met so many random people, some of them who were kind of weird. Some of them were like became mates and just like complete oddball characters. And it really like pushed my confidence to just sort of randomly introduce myself to people because so many people were so ready to talk to me, which is kind of weird because you just kind of think that people would like not want to have a conversation. I felt much less lonely by doing that and when you're just on your device and you're only speaking to digital people, it's it's not so um, realistic. So that was like a really nice game that made me kind of feel like I was a real person as well as being involved with like the sort of social digital world as well. Other rules. Yeah. I mean, I got kind of into other stuff and I think just like making sure you have like a regular check-in with yourself really on that stuff. So like each week I will look at my screen time and see what's going on. And a different thing is that I also look at my heart rate, like my resting heart rate. Because I'm quite a fit person and I just know that if I've got all three things going well, if I'm getting enough sleep, if I'm not stressed, and if I'm like doing enough exercise, my heart rate will be, be below 50 BPM. Whereas if I'm like 
breaking any one of those too much, it just starts going up. And after like a week, it never goes up by more than that much like each day, but over like a week or two, it can just rise every single day for two weeks and I'll be getting up to like 65 BPM. And like that's like a 30% increase if I'm sort of breaking too many of those rules. And then like I'll notice it and then check in and be like, okay, I'm doing something wrong. Is it like my sleeping pattern? Is it like my tech usage? Do I need to like just completely assess what I'm doing? And so like recently I was going a bit wrong and I was just using like, I was doing too much like trading. Like I kind of got into trading. I was making lots of money and stuff on the side and that was cool. But then I woke up in the morning and I wanted to like see what my trading account was doing and I'd be checking it too much. And it just was adding stress I didn't need. It was like, okay, fuck it. I'm only going to log in once a week and I'm just going to set some like long swing trades. I'm not going to do any day trading in these things. And then my BPM started going back down again. And it was like, okay, no more trading for Sam. <laughs> it doesn't need more money. He needs uh, more headspace. And I'm probably making just as much money anyway. I'm just not like faffing about, which is good. Yeah, these are all nice uh, rules. I love that rule of don't go on WhatsApp in, until you go out and talk to a real person in the real world. I, yeah. I, I like that one a lot. I'm going to see if I can work that one into my rotation. I, I stopped that during uh, coronavirus. It was... Yeah, and yeah, now we can never, at least here in the States, uh, I guess the UK too, you guys are, you know, we're past the curve and those of us who are vaccinated... Yeah. yeah, we can go out there and, you know, and chat. I, I have to, I'll confess, I'm a chatty kind of person and I'll chat up people at the grocery store or, you know, random yeah, people on the streets and what have you. And I've always enjoyed doing that. But, you know, it's, it's kind of a useful thing to think about in terms of like a little game that you can win, you know, before you go waste your time on Twitter, go out and talk to somebody, right? Or uh, the other one that's easy. And, you know, I, I have to confess, I've fallen out of the habit of is, you know, talking to people on the phone, mm. you know, just, just call up one of your old high school buddies and say, what's up, right? Yeah, I've been doing that a lot more lately as well. It's it's really good. Like, it's um, silly how, how little you sort of do that sometimes. And certainly as a guy, I think it kind of wasn't like a natural thing for me to go and do, but I could just started prioritizing a bit and it's great. I have lots of friends. They're really nice to talk to. <laughs> Why don't I do that? <laughs> and like texting and that stuff is it's not, it's not the same at all. Yeah, the, yeah, the problem, you know, our damn uh, uh, online, it's just so accessible. It's so easy. It's so frictionless, right? I can just pick this damn little device up and suddenly have access to, you know, on Twitter, God knows how many people, right? On Facebook, several hundreds, uh, you know, I don't know how many alleged friends I have, 4,000 or something, but the Facebook algorithm is not nearly as viral as the Twitter algorithm, which seems to just spread anything you post to everybody and his brother and, you know, gets involved in these gigantic shitstorms sometimes. But, and it's just so accessible. It's just like, it's, it's, just, it's a thing that is dangerous in the same way alcohol is, or probably even closer to something like heroin, right? In terms of its addictive power. Yeah. It's really funny how we like these things spread. And like, well, certainly TikTok is, that one's you know, been really big for like, the new kids these days of, such a good spreading algorithm to like really boost any content that like people enjoy. And so you can become like TikTok famous in a week if you just post a few good videos, which is why people really like it. Yeah, I will say I've never looked at TikTok, don't intend to. Yeah. The other one I've not ever looked at is Instagram, but I, I read a very uh, interesting book called Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation by Ann Peterson. And she kept stressing how, especially for women, grooming their presentation of their self on Instagram had actually become the center of their life and that you're highly stressed about it, would plan their vacations around whether there was Instagrammable photographs uh, that were available and 
Uh, she quoted a woman who said, well, why would I go there? There's no Instagram photos to be had, right? And I go, what the fuck, right? It sounds like this is a... Yeah, yeah, like the experience is like being able to take things and show off as opposed to enjoying the experience. So absurd. But that was part of where like some of my speech ideas came from was like, I think I was in Bali and there's like this epic waterfall thing then you could like get the swing on the edge of this cliff and you could do like, this giant swing across this thing. And like you could like, spend a bit of time on this thing having a great time sort of swinging off the edge of this cliff and like, there's a bit of a cue for it and this girl like just did one swing got a photo came back checked her phone like oh that looked great walked off and you're like you queued for like 20 minutes to swing once you could have been on there like in your bliss moments for like for a few minutes just having fun but no you just wanted a photo to show off to your friends like look at me like actually what happened in her real holiday was she queued for ages and then went to other places and queued for ages and was on her phone the whole time she wasn't doing any of what the instagram actually showed and you're like, it's just nuts. Why do people do that? And and yeah, that was a moment I was like, right, people, we're getting this wrong. Yeah, so literally Instagram has programmed her. She is now a creature of Instagram rather than her own autonomous self. Exactly. Yeah, another one, Yeah, they say, uh, oh yeah, you know, the AIs are taking over or will in the future. I go, hey, hey folks, you probably don't realize this, but the AIs are now driving human evolution. And you go, what? How could that be? Well, what do you think Tinder is, right? Tinder is a bunch of AIs and, uh, you know, well, not every hookup leads to reproduction. I'm a probabilistic basis. Those people you hook up with, sooner or later, you're going to plant a baby, right? And so literally the AIs are, you know, driving human evolution through things like Tinder or OkCupid or whatever, you know, I've been happily married for 40 years. So fortunately, I don't have never been immersed in this horse shit, but because it's, you know, our deepest drive of all, the uh, desire to reproduce, presumably these dating apps and sex apps have got to have really big saliency in terms of driving our behavior and, and literally now driving our reproduction. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah. Have you ever used one of them things? Yes, I am on Tinder. I am also on Hinge. And um, I have had some terrible dates. <laughs> I don't know if you want to go down that further. It's certainly like a weird place to be. And I, I certainly find in London, it's like, there's so many people that it just makes the whole thing really like value. Like, it's just like really cheap. There's just like endless more people. Oh, it's really weird. And so I don't really like the experience that much. Yeah. And that's not what we were designed for. I've actually looked at the data, and back in my day, by far the number one way people, you know, established romantic relationships was introductions through friends. Yeah. And my wife and I met met that way, and it's still like number three or four on the list, but number one online, right? Mm. And you know, that is interesting. Now, you know, again, you know, one could make the economist's argument: Oh, yeah, well, you have a bigger market, so you'll come closer to the equilibrium pricing, right, on who you should have as your mate. But somehow that just that seems like yeah. uh, something not right about that. It also like you know the grass is green on the other side. It gives you so many more options, and like humans with more options can make it harder for them to make decisions. So there's a lot more like emotional unavailability going on, as it's called, as in because people aren't sure if they've got the best thing, and like because like you're on like, like an addictive algorithm where you're always like, oh maybe there's something better if I keep on swiping right, and so you're in the moment with this person, but you're like notice that it's one tiny flaw instead of like trying to work through it and sort of seeing how you could maybe have a better discussion or maybe taking ownership of something that's wrong with yourself you're like oh well this person's not right i'll find someone else and yeah there's just not so much of a reason to like stick around and actually sort of 
be grateful for what you've got instead of working out how to deal with flaws and these things. And it's, uh, yeah, it's not healthy. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I say if you have an actual relationship, if you're switching costs, as the economists would say, or perceived to be less, then you're you know less willing to tolerate uh, anything that annoys you. Well, somebody who's been married for forty years, mostly happy, uh, I can guarantee you, even in the in the best of marriages, there's annoying shit that happens on a fairly regular basis, and so. Uh, you know, perhaps lowering the switching costs will not produce a good, solid, emergent society, which, you know, society is based on the family unit. And if we don't have stable family units, we're not going to have a stable society. Mm, which is nice and worrying. <laughs> good. Yeah. And it's the AIs doing it, right? So say, you know, the AIs are going to take over. Well, guess what, people? They're already driving the formation and the disformation uh, of our most basic human family unit, which is, uh, you know, the... Uh, uh, the pair bonded couple and their children. Uh, so think about that a little bit in terms of uh, what these algorithms and these uh, dopamine hooks are, are doing to us. Mm, yeah, so many things going on. But um, I would say dating apps are like 100% bad. I think you, there is like an argument to say that like in some senses it does make it easier to find people. Like, I mean, I'm new in Cornwall and have been able to go on three dates and meet people and sort of work out a bit more like what's important to me of my values and stuff. And if I didn't know any people, I probably wouldn't have dated anyone by now. And so there are some advantages to be mentioned and um, wouldn't want to be a complete hater. But yeah, yeah there, but of course, all these things have crap. advantages. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Even Facebook's got some yeah. good advantages, right? I've met lots of interesting people on Facebook, particularly in the groups, right? I found that my usage of Facebook over the last few years has moved from probably 90% general Facebook to now about 80% groups. And uh, there are some really good groups of people that have self-formed on Facebook that never would have found each other. And so, you know, I think we, you know, we should all be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater that, as you say, you, you may you know, give you access to a social life that you might not have otherwise had. And in Facebook's case, there are many folks I've developed uh, useful relationships with that I probably wouldn't have found otherwise. So, uh, you know, it's like alcohol. Alcohol's got some good and it's got some risks. So uh, learning to extract the good without getting sucked into the bad is kind of the, you know, the art and science of how to live in our in our digital world. Yes. Yeah. I like another uh, thing you chatted about in your talk, which is, you know, the idea of two hour blocks away from this constant stuff. And you gave the example of, I don't remember who it was, somebody that meditated for two hours a day. And you know, it's, it kind of resonated with me back in my business career, I, particularly in the later days where I was just insanely overscheduled kind of dude. I told my assistant, block two hours a day, think time, right? And not that I always actually got it because sometimes shit would actually be on fire. But I'd say at least half the time I got two hours uninterrupted by meetings or phone calls or emails or anything else, which was which was great. Yeah, I think it's epic because it's always just fill the time and it kind of runs away with you. And you don't actually ever get to like do things properly and work on any like the big things that you've got. And if you're trying to be someone that's productive and stuff, you actually need to have that time for some deep thought and deep work. and deliver on stuff as opposed to just being in meetings and talking about things or like answering emails and stuff, which are all like useful things to do, but just balanced. Yeah, another one you mentioned and just in passing, I think it's probably worth digging into a little bit is uh, one of the thing, one of the results you mentioned about our life on our phone is never have to be bored again. Maybe being bored is good. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an, a big believer in the, like the anti-fragile of like, 
you grow through pain and like being uncomfortable is where like you where the good things happen and where like your growth is is when you step out of your comfort zone and being bored is kind of uncomfortable when you get very used to being instantly able to like satisfy your boredom with like something to entertain yourself and but like when you're bored that's when you go into problem solving of like okay how do I stop my boredom okay I can think about my problems I can have this idea or you think about what's going on in the world and maybe what frustrates you and you come up with like an idea of how to fix it and then you come up with like a business plan or something and that's like boredom is great to culture and then to sort of find like how you can creatively solve that boredom as opposed to just relying on like text answer for it because that's you know, like the genius parts for sure and that's all it's always sort of if you're never bored you're never gonna have those moments and it's the same way of like if you're always satisfied you're never useful as in if you as a human like you need to have like an, a balance of good and bad kind of thing so as in if you had sex once and you just felt like ultimate like the same amount of pleasure you have just at that moment for the rest of your life you'd never do anything with the rest of your life you just be like this is great <laughs> and that's it or like if you sort of ate like something nice like a sweet and you're just like hey I'm really, really, really happy, and then you just never needed to eat again ever because if you're just like very happy with your stomach feeling, then you'd you'd never eat. You need to get hungry to to eat. You need to get bored to have ideas and and do stuff. And I think it's just part of like the balance of that you need to go through. Yeah, those are. Uh, it strikes me the same, right? Those times when you're not overscheduled, you're not just constantly dealing with inbounds. That you're actually able to to take pieces of ideas and say, hmm, you know, muse. This and that plus this equals that. That might actually be interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, one wonders, you know, what, what what's going to become of our world if we have no more boredom? Mm, definitely. So an interesting example, actually, I'd never even thought of was one time I, because um, I've been running my podcast for quite a long time, and I had this podcast. I booked a podcast room in London to do, record a podcast with this Olympic rower, and he got the wrong week. So he didn't turn up. I and mean, I had two hours alone in a podcast room by myself. And I'd never recorded a podcast by myself or anything. But I was bored. And I had like all these amazing mics. And I was like, well, I may as well do something. So I just wrote a few like different lines down of things that I could sort of think about and could probably riff on. And like, that's when I first started doing my own podcasts and was like, oh, wow, I can actually do this. I have good ideas. And it's just because I had that two-hour window with nothing planned in my schedule other than like making podcasts, but to myself suddenly. And that when you kind of book those things into your calendar you, you can do them but if you never sort of make time for it it just doesn't happen and um yeah you uh, reminded me of that so i thought i would share that's kind of nice so you know kind of summing up where do you think we're headed as a society at the, <laughs> at the present moment and uh does it bother you uh you know? sort of but in, in other ways no because like I, I am a believer in the anti-fragile concept I do believe humanity is anti-fragile and that we will get stronger through these things and problems. And you could look at like, say like the second world war and say like, that was like just such a shit thing for humanity to go through. But then like we formed the UN and these things and we kind of learned to like not do these things. And maybe if we hadn't done that and like we carried on advancing technology a bit more first without a world war, but we'd had all these nuclear weapons, we may have like fired them and like destroyed the world later so actually perhaps like it could have saved us from like our own demise and i think again like sort of like social media or whatever these things like we are going we are getting more polarized we are sort of being more individualistic and egotistical and stuff and but we're also like there's so much more focus on mental health and people thinking about like their mindsets and like getting ways to be calm and sort of being more equal and there is sort of 
some resistance coming back and things and like the social dilemma. And I think people will learn and we will ultimately build better things. And so I am kind of a positive person overall, even if like some of the stuff I can talk about is like, okay, okay doomsaying right now of like all the problems currently. But I think that we generally sort of kick back and react to things that are bad and, and learn from them. So I'm kind of happy in many ways. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap it up there on that uh, upbeat uh, exit note. Thank you, Sam, for a wonderful conversation. I look forward to being on your podcast tomorrow. Oh, me too. It's going to be great fun. Production services and audio editing by Jared Janes Consulting. Music by Tom Muller at modernspacemusic.com.